Okay, so this is 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines were ready for battle. On two hilltops with only a narrow valley between, the armies were assembled. The Philistines on one, Saul and the Israelites on the other. All of a sudden, a giant man came striding down towards the valley from the Philistine camp. Goliath of Gad, Gath, towered above everyone. On his head was a massive bronze helmet. He wore a breastplate of bronze, and his legs and arms were sheathed in bronze. In one hand, he carried a bronze dagger, in the other, an iron-headed spear as big as a tree. I challenge you, Saul, bellowed Goliath. I challenge you to send one of your men to fight me. Let the two of us decide the outcome of the war. At these words, Saul trembled, and the Israelites were filled with fear. Three of Jesse's sons were among Saul's soldiers, and their brother David had left his sheep to bring them food. As he reached the camp, he heard Goliath's boastful challenge and saw that no one dared answer it. I will fight the giant, he said to Saul, for you're only a boy. Goliath is a famous man of war. Eventually, however, Saul was persuaded. Refusing both weapons and armor, David went to a nearby stream and picked out five smooth pebbles, which he put in his shepherd's pouch. Then, with his sling in one hand, his staff in the other, he walked towards Goliath. Get out of my way, boy, the champion shouted, his voice heavy with contempt. I do not fight with children. You come to me with a dagger and a spear, but I come to you with God on my side, said David. He put down his staff and placed a pebble in his sling. Whirling it around once, he let fly. The stone struck Goliath in the middle of his forehead and the giant crashed to the ground, dead. When the Philistines saw their great champion dead, they turned and ran, leaving the Israelites to celebrate their victory. Thank you. Now, the first thing that I want to be very, very clear on as we talk about uh, David and Goliath is actually, this is a story, um, and it's about the Philistines, and it's about Israel, but we are not offering it in any way as a commentary on what is happening in the world now. We are not talking about Israel, Gaza, and it could definitely sound like that, so I wanted to be really clear that we are not offering this as a commentary on that at all. And there will be different views even within this room today on that, but actually our place is to be balanced in that. It's not trying to work out which side is David and which side is Goliath, but our place is to be balanced and to be a people who pray for peace continually and who pray for an end to violence and so Caelan's actually going to be leading us in some prayers a bit later on um, particularly for the Middle East today so it's important to say that at the start of this talk so that we are understanding each other I think Um, but back to the talk back to the story that we've heard I think that this is a story we do hear as children um, in the church and even outside the church. I think it's quite a common story, David and Goliath. We certainly use the imagery a lot. I'm looking at Chris because Chris just, uh, he did a talk on this this morning at the 11 a.m. service and I think it was better than mine. But anyway, most of you were not here, so it's okay. (laughs) So um, don't, don't frown at me at any point, Chris. Just smile all the way through. That would be very encouraging. Thank you. Um, But I think that this is a really good story to to tell children, actually, because um, we often tell it in the sense of, you know, David is this little guy. He's he's a 
teenager maybe, and he's a lot smaller than Goliath, isn't he? And we, and we tell it to the children, and the children think, well, I'm little too, and great, I can take on giants. And for them, it's like this story that gives them so much encouragement because, oh my goodness, they can take on the world. And it's like God is with them, and it just gives them so much courage and encourages them to have real faith. So I think this is a great story to tell children. But what can we as adults learn from this story? So I think the key, as I've said so many times, you're probably getting bored of me saying it, but is to ask why this story is told. Like, why is this story written down? And it's, it's not really trying to work out if it's historically accurate, but why is the story told? What is going on here? So, of course, I'm going to look at the biblical context. So, brace yourselves. It's not too bad, don't worry. Um, So Israel, imagine Israel, they didn't have a king, so they'd never had a king because God was their king. Fair enough. Um, But all the nations around them had a king, and Israel had kind of got a bit annoyed and felt a bit sad. They were like, well, we want a king. We want a king of our own, just like the other nations. And so God had said, fine, have a king. But God was rejected in that. You know, they have rejected God, and they've desired a different king. And I love the passage, it's in 1 Samuel, you can find it if you want to. doesn't say these exact words, but essentially God sort of goes, well, don't come crying to me when it all goes wrong. Um, it's like, parents say it a lot, right? They never quite mean it, and God didn't either. But um, it says it in this story, don't come crying to me when it all goes wrong. And so Saul is appointed king, God chooses Saul to be king of Israel, um, and it's fine, lovely, but then Saul isn't the best king ever, so he disobeys God, and he rules in a way that God isn't happy with. So actually, Saul loses God's favor as king of Israel. And so actually, when we look at David and Goliath, we're probably expecting the Philistines to win, because God has said he's not happy with Saul. I told Joe this would be confusing. I told her it would. See, we're flicking through all the pictures there. There's a scrunched up piece of paper, Joe. Let's go for that one. There we go. Look, the plan has been thrown away. That's what that is in my head. Um, so, where was I? <laughs> so, Saul has lost favor. God is not planning to help. And then this battle happens. We've got Israel and we've got the Philistines. And what's going to happen? Well, surely the Philistines will win because Israel have lost favor with God. Like, surely. And he said, don't come crying to me when it all goes wrong. So surely that's what we think would happen. So then we come to this story, David and Goliath. And I think maybe it's a, it's a story that's a little embellished at times, like a lot of stories in the Old Testament particularly. Um, and the reason I think that is the name Goliath It's actually taken from the Hebrew root word meaning exile. So it means the same as exile. And he comes from the city of Gath. And Gath means wine pressing. I'm there already. So um, this city of wine pressing, that is symbolic of God's judgment in the Old Testament. So wine pressing, God's judgment, same thing in the Old Testament. So actually... Goliath is representative of God's judgment on Israel and the threat of exile. So this is a giant that represents judgment and the threat of exile. So this is a big thing. Chris is looking at me like, hmm. (laughs) We're very different talks, aren't we, Chris? (laughs) So actually, Israel are going to battle with this giant that represents 
the judgment of God and the threat of exile. We don't know when this um, story is particularly written. It could be towards the end of their exile or just afterwards. But we get this picture of a people who are writing about how they are no longer under God's judgment and how actually they're not going to be in exile anymore. And it's like there's an excitement about that. And so what happens in the story is there's this, this boy, maybe a servant. There's this boy, David. And he is young. He's the youngest in the family. And he's not in the battle at all. He's tending to sheep back home. And he's kind of, he feels excited too because he wants to get right to the front line to hear what's going on, to hear the latest. And so you've got this boy, David. And he's not a warrior. But he seems to trust in Yahweh. He seems to trust in God. And actually, he's won God's favour somehow. This boy, because of his faith, he has got the favour of God with him. And he goes to battle with the threat of exile. He goes to battle with God's judgement. And somehow he wins. Like, that's incredible. Somehow he wins. The God that said, don't come crying to me, has suddenly gone, yeah, fine, (laughs) and sort of helped out. And it's like, wow, they have won God's favour back, but not because of anything they did, because of the goodness of God. Even though Israel had wanted a different king, even though Israel had rejected God himself, actually, God was still interested in their redemption. God was still interested in them. He was still interested in saving them from judgment and from exile. Like, wow, that's amazing, because they're kind of annoying, aren't they? (laughs) I don't know if you've read much of the Old Testament. They're kind of annoying (laughs) at times. And so the story writers are really trying to communicate that David's victory symbolizes God's continuous and absurd grace. And it is absurd, because like, Any of us would be going, I'm not doing that again. (laughs) But God keeps doing it, keeps giving them grace, keeps giving them grace over and over and over again. And so when a people group had rejected him and said they didn't want him, God still found a way for redemption to bring them back into his favour. And I'm getting to a point. I'm getting to three points, finally. I know I've been talking for ages already, but I've got three quick points to make about this story. And the first one is, I think that this is so encouraging because it offers us so much hope, doesn't it? Like, when we hear that, it offers us so much hope. You know, when I was um, 21, I remember walking along the street and I was muttering to myself. I don't think I was talking particularly loud. I hope not. Um, I was walking along, muttering away, and I was really annoyed with God at the time, and I said, I don't need you anymore. I told God to F off. I know, know, it's terrible, isn't it? And so I, I like totally turned my back on God. I said, I'm not doing this anymore. This is not working for me. And I decided to do a Fleetwood Mac, go my own way. And then two and a half years later, somehow... Like I found that I was back in a church and I was crying because God had met with me and called me back and like God's grace chased me. And it was like, it was just the most incredible thing. It was the most incredible experience I've ever had of God's love because he did not give up. Even though I told him, no, I'm done. Like God 
just kept loving me, just kept pouring out his grace on me. And so I think that this is a story that is so encouraging. It offers us so much hope. Whenever we turn our back on God, and we do, God doesn't ever turn his back on us. And that's the promise we see in this story. The second point is that actually David, chosen by God, wasn't even perfect himself, do you know? And I don't think our children's story picked it up, but the, the I was going to say the proper Bible, <laughs> I don't mean the proper Bible, the, uh, the adult's Bible that I read before does, and it talks about how David was told by his dad, Jesse, to go and give his brothers food, and he packs his bag and he runs to the front line and then he just leaves the food with somebody else because he's like really excited and wants to go do something else, um, and he doesn't quite do the job he was meant to do. And then also, David, in the story, he repeatedly asks, what's the reward for killing Goliath? Did you know that? Like, he's got conflicted interests, this guy. Like, yes, he believes in God, but he's also going, well, what am I going to get out of this? And I think that's really interesting, because he's actually a flawed person too. And of course, we see later on in David's life that he is flawed. And I love that, because he's still the instrument that God chooses to redeem his people by. That is still who he chooses, even though he's imperfect, he's done stuff wrong, he's conflicted even in what he's doing. He's not quite got the reasons totally right, he's not quite as pure as we sometimes think. But God uses him. And so God can use us no matter how flawed we are. And the third thing is that actually this shows us that God doesn't redeem through strength, through power, through dominance, but actually God does it through the unexpected, through the small, through the things that don't even make sense to us, right? That's how God operates. God's not interested in how much you earn or how little you earn. God's not interested in in what you have or the position you hold. He's not interested in the title you have. He doesn't need any of that. God just needs a willing heart. That's all he needs. And so wherever you're at today, this story has hope for us all. Even if you've totally turned your back on God and you're not even really sure why you're here, know that God's grace is absurd and that his grace is for you today and it will follow you all the days of your life. If you're sort of willing but you've got conflicted interests today, and you're not perfect, and you're aware of it, that's okay too. Like, God can work with that. God is happy to work with that. So don't worry, and go for it. And if you're thinking that God couldn't possibly work through you, know that he is always, always working through the unexpected and the small. So don't discount yourself. Know that it's the most unexpected people and the smallest actions that can change the world. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you chase us with grace all the days of our life. We thank you that you never turn your back on us, but that you are always seeking to give us fresh grace, to meet us in your love. God, we thank you that you can use us, flawed as we are. 
We thank you that you choose to use your people. That you choose to use us to bless others. And we pray that you would do that. And we thank you that you work through the unexpected and through the small. And we pray today that we might be those people who do your work in the world, who share your love with the world around us, and who unexpectedly change this world. Amen.